You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our spiritual journey to God. Hello and welcome to the first official episode of The Myth Pilgrim. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Actually, I inserted those cheers in for you, the listener, because I'm so happy to have your company and very excited to start one of many adventures. Let's just get straight into it. So, um, you've probably seen that the title of this episode is Beauty and the Beast and the God Who Breaks Our Curse. Most of us know the story of Beauty and the Beast, but have you ever met a beast in real life? And I don't mean the furry, hulking, princely type from the fairy tale, but real people. People who, for whatever reason, you find repulsive, nasty, and even intimidating. You might work with such a beast or hear about them on the 6 o'clock news. Heck, you might even live with one. And maybe some days, you might even think that you have a beast inside you. One that is raging, swearing, snarling, cursing, feeling trapped, crying out to the world. Anyway, as you've guessed, today is very much about beasts. So if you've had any associations with one, this episode is for you. Beauty and the Beast is a tale as old as time, because it is fundamentally our tale. The story works quite profoundly as a metaphor, describing mankind's fall from grace through sin, and its ultimate redemption through the power of love. It's a redemption story and a love story rolled into one, just like the Christian story. And if you think about it, other popular tales like The Frog Prince and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Pride and Prejudice and Phantom of the Opera are actually all derivatives of the same Beauty and the Beast theme, though under a different title. It's nice to know that while the original Beauty and the Beast was a French fairy tale written in the mid-1700s, the essence of the story has remained pretty consistent in all later retellings. Now, there may be some minor differences in the story's trappings, such as the reason behind the prince's curse, the family situation of Belle, and so on. But for the sake of familiarity today, I'm going to be chiefly using the Disney retelling of the story, as it's also the version most of my generation grew up with. And here it is in a nutshell. There once lived a proud young prince who was rather selfish. One winter's night, he turns away an ugly beggar woman who had offered him a single rose in return for lodging at his castle. But not before she warns him not to be deceived by her outward appearances. Still refusing her entry, the prince is punished by being transformed into an ugly beast. The beggar woman, as it turns out, happened to be an enchantress in disguise. Her curse would ensure the prince remained a beast until he could learn to love another person other than himself and earn their love in return. And the time for him to accomplish this was limited. The rose the woman had offered the prince was an enchanted rose. Once its last petal fell, his time would be up, and he remain a beast for all eternity. Fast forward some time now, and we meet young Belle, which in French means beauty, a beautiful peasant girl in a nearby village. Through some wrong turns on the way to the carnival, Belle's father, Maurice, stumbles into the beast's castle, who instantly throws him into prison for trespassing. A worried Belle comes to his rescue, and after dealing with the beast, volunteers to take her father's place in exchange for his freedom. The beast agrees, and Maurice is set free, while Belle remains behind as his prisoner. Now, Belle initially loathes the beast and wants nothing to do with him. 
but through a series of events and providential circumstances, which makes up the bulk of the story, these two polar opposite personalities slowly form a friendship, which in turn blossoms into a romance. As the beast's affection for Belle grows, sparks of his original humanity also show through his monstrous veneer. Eventually, at the climax of the story, the Beast and Belle's love has grown so potent that it's enough to break the Beast's curse, and he is transformed back into a prince, and just in the nick of time too. Light and vitality are restored to the kingdom, and the two live happily ever after. Amen. That's the story of Beauty and the Beast, but how is it also our story? Consider now that once upon a time in Eden, we too were royal princes and princesses in a kingdom, just like the prince was in the tale. And like that prince, our pride exacted a terrible price upon our humanity, the curse of sin. It would ravage the human heart like a devouring beast, turning husband against wife, brother against brother, tribe against tribe, and most tragically, humanity against God. When fully bred. This once glorious human person, made in the image of God, would become barely recognisable in the gross disfigurement sin brought. A brief pause here. We know from lived experience that no one is exempt from the curse of sin. Even the best among us can become quite beastly given the right or wrong circumstances. History has recorded many terrible beasts, one whose inner torment has inflicted misery upon countless numbers of people. Hurt people, hurt people, as they say, and the pattern sadly tends to pass on. Now, such tragedies have led some to conclude that indeed human beings are just mere beasts, one of many animals that operate by the proverbial law of the jungle, a lawless acting out of the survival of the fittest. Human beings, they say, are in essence selfish creatures, and all the good that we appear to do, such as loving our families, fighting for social justice, philanthropy, it's all really motivated by self-interest and the hope of increasing our chances of surviving. But such a pessimistic view of the nature of the human person is not the Christian position, and never will be, because we believe that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and hold to the truth that human beings are fundamentally good, even if that same goodness has been compromised by the curse of sin. Whereas some say we are fundamentally evil creatures that occasionally do good, the Christian says that we will always be fundamentally good creatures, even if sin leads us to do the most horrendous evils. And this is no trifling truth. If, for the sake of analogy, we understand sin as humanity's equivalent of the beast's curse, it too would remain upon us for all time, unless we too could learn to love in a way that was fitting to our original dignity. But all attempts at this ultimately failed, and every hope of achieving rightness with God was crippled by the very curse we were trying to lift. Welcome to the story of the Old Testament. And so, like the beast, humanity fell into despair. Then, one day, two thousand years ago, through no merit of our own. Our bell entered the human story. If the beast stands for all of us fallen beings, then naturally Bell is our Christ figure, who emerges from a place untouched by the curse and voluntarily enters into a horrible beastly realm. Interestingly, you may recall in the story that it was Bell's love for her father that brings her to the beast castle in the first place. This love for the father motif gives a subtle but beautiful dimension for Bell as a Christ archetype, who sought always to honor his Abba in heaven. When Belle begins her life in the Beast's castle, it is an otherwise dark and foreboding prison, and all traces of beauty and joy are either shrouded or defaced by the Beast's claw marks. But despite herself, Belle is inexplicably drawn to a particular wing in the castle, the West Wing, which might be understood as the Beast's inner lair, 
a place forbidden entry by even his most loyal servants. For it is in the west wing that he keeps his most precious enchanted rose. It has always struck me as both unusual and poetic that in the darkest place of the castle is the most beautiful object. It's as if the rose symbolized that in the heart of even the most monstrous beast lies beauty and goodness. A beauty and goodness that is forever beyond the influence of evil and is almost otherworldly. The enchanted rose in the West Wing speaks to me of man's divine spark stamped in the deepest part of a person's soul, a spark that cannot ever be tainted or corrupted by even the vilest sin. We all possess this spark because we were created good, in God's image, indelibly printed within us. It's the mark of our original divinity, and even though it takes a great act of faith to be able to recognize it in certain people around us, it is nevertheless there calling to us, reminding us, whispering to our conscience, praying that one day we might see every person as they truly are, that their glory will be so great that we will be tempted to fall on our knees in wonder and awe. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim so far, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes of our journey. Do also consider sharing this podcast with your friends so that we can grow the fellowship of the Myth Pilgrim and together unveil the profound truths of God hidden in our myths and fairy tales. How might you react to Jesus entering into your West Wing? What might he find there that you have been wanting to shut out from the world or even from yourself? Perhaps unforgiveness or painful memories or grief? Maybe some monstrous vices like lust or greed or pride? Or maybe loneliness. In the Disney story, I wish I could say the beast's response to Belle entering his west wing was one of welcome and gratitude, but it was not. It was one of sheer terror. For there the beast knows that he is most vulnerable, for his precious rose, his divine spark, is both a symbol of his salvation and a threat for his demise. He pounces between Belle and the rose. Get out, he roars. Insert tantrum and furniture flying everywhere. At this point, I'm led to wonder, what if, just what if, some of the beast-like characteristics we observe in some people are also not really directed at others at all? What if they are a result of that person feeling threatened? Like a ferocious mother tigress fighting to protect her own cubs from danger. What if the beast emerges in us to protect that which is most valuable from being taken away? Our divine spark as images of God. Belle's invasion into the West Wing becomes the turning point of the story. Despite frightening Belle out of the room and out of the castle in true beastly fashion, I feel that Belle's mere presence there had already changed something in the beast and drawn something human out of him again. Why do I say this? Because in the scene that follows in the snowy woods, the beast actually makes his first genuine act of love in the story. He jumps into the foray of vicious wolves and risks his own life to defend the fleeing Belle. If you think about it, this is a strange and bizarre turnaround, considering he could have just about killed her himself moments before. But in reality, this dynamic is what happens when God touches us in our place of greatest vulnerability. By realising that we are somehow still lovable despite our terrible curse, God reinvigorates the divine spark within us and inspires us to love once again. If we take St Thomas Aquinas' definition of love as to will the good of the other, then the beast in the woods rediscovers the capacity to will the good of another. And from this pivotal chapter onward, the beast makes a slow 180 degrees turn 
and his tale of tragedy transformed into a tale of love and redemption. In the scenes that follow, there's an intimate bandaging scene around the fireplace, snow fights, a very big library, the singing of There's Something Strange, dressing up, bathing, the iconic ballroom dance, singing teapots, Taylor's all last time, starry nights, a confession of love, and then the transformation scene. Love finally breaks the curse. Hallelujah. With a flourish of Disney enchantment and a helping of Alan Menken musical magic, the beast is restored in a flash to his former human princeliness. It's all very delightful and moving. But here's the thing, if you ever watch Beauty and the Beast again, and I think you should after this episode, pay attention to what you're feeling during the Beast's final transformation scene. Have a conversation with God about it, because that scene for me was never the same again when it dawned on me exactly why it is so moving. It was because I was glimpsing something of the glory and majesty and victory that was awaiting me when my own transformation into a divine prince was completed in this life or the next. In other words, this scene captures something of what our salvation looks and feels like. Remember, the beast's redemption story is our story. And what could be true for us could be true also of our neighbours. So next time you encounter one of those beasts in your workplace, church or family, pray that this level of transformation can happen to him and wait in hope that one day in this life or the next, As a way of closing, I want to highlight one final feature, if you like, that's particularly glorious about the Christian story of redemption. If Beauty and the Beast were just an ordinary story about redemption, the story would go just something like this. A prince becomes a beast, somehow learns to love again, and then he is transformed back into a prince. The end. But this is actually not how the story ends, for not only does the beast get to be transformed back into his former princeliness, he also, in the process, gains the love of Belle. He ends up better off than he was even before he was cursed at the start of the movie. And this also is not a chance fairy tale ending, for this same pattern is also true for the Christian journey. Our redemption is not merely a returning to Eden, where we were before the fall. No, our redemption is the elevation of ourselves as divine sons and daughters of God, while at the same time gaining Christ as our heavenly spouse for all time. And this is why, when the final shot of the Disney animated version zooms out to the stained glass window of the Beast and Belle's marriage, immortalised for all time in glass, one can almost hear the famous line from the Easter Vigil Exalted. O happy fault that gained so great, so glorious a Redeemer. So, there we have it. We've arrived at the end. Thanks so much for exploring this great story with me. There is such richness in Beauty and the Beast that I actually plan to record a part two, this time focusing on how Beauty and the Beast can shed light on the beauty of the cross. So stay tuned for that. Now, dear pilgrim, what I want to do at the end of each episode is to offer you a little take-home exercise, just as a way of grounding everything we've just heard in real life. After all, this podcast series is called The Myth Pilgrim, and a pilgrim goes on a journey to be interiorly transformed. So... The first practical pilgrim reflection is this. During your next prayer time, ask yourself, what is inside your west wing? What pains or memories or thoughts do you want to keep everyone out of, even God? A funny clue to finding out what lies in your west wing is to ask yourself, what triggers me to act most beast-like? 
what makes me revert from being a loving human being to a self-conscious, angry, blubbering, anxious beast? You can bet God wants to go right there. Why not invite him in? And just perhaps, this will be a lot more doable if you remember that inside your greatest darkness is a beautiful enchanted rose, a divine spark that can never be taken away from you. And there we have it, episode one done. And if you're still with me at this point, seriously, thank you and I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Once again, I want to encourage you to spread the word about the Myth Pilgrim and to subscribe to stay in touch with all the upcoming exciting episodes which are oozing to be released. So until then, journey forth, take care, and God bless.